In the spirit of Family Day weekend, uh, how many of us remember what it felt like to grow up with family or, or household rules? You know, I think most families have some kind of rules sort of to help them operate and function. And most of these are unwritten, but sometimes we have them kind of written on, you know, Pinteresty signs on our walls, things like we give hugs or we dream big or we like to have a lot of fun. Uh, or maybe you've seen the, the don't mind the mess my kids are making memory sort of family rule sign, uh, which let's be honest, I think you only ever see that sign in the home of like a neat freak where there's absolutely no mess to be seen, right? Or I think I like this one better. I came across this one this week. Uh, it says, don't mind the mess. My kids are making memories of me yelling at them to clean up the mess. Is that, is that a little more real or what? I think that one is uh, very true of my parenting. Um, but think uh, for a moment uh, a little bit more specifically about your own upbringing and some of the family rules that, that were probably unwritten but kind of became sort of the boundary markers determining if who was behaving as a good sort of member of the family and who wasn't. Sort of who was the, the poster child or who was the prodigal, so to speak. One that I remember uh, from our family that was kind of fairly firm was the, the be home by curfew family rule. And this rule, if you were to violate it or sort of push the boundary, there were, there were sort of varying degrees of severity. Um, if you came home just a little bit after curfew, you know, you might come inside and I would notice, you know, my parents' bedroom light might still be on. And if that was the case, you knew they were awake and they were aware that you hadn't been home yet, but you could probably sort of slip away to your room without any further consequence. But if you came home a little bit uh, later than that, you know, not only might the bedroom light be on, but if you heard some audible grumbling, then there was probably a debate going on about whether some further consequences should be applied. But if you came home kind of much later, if you pulled in the driveway and you noticed that not only was the bedroom light on, but that the kitchen light was on, and if my parents were up and standing in the kitchen, uh, then you know you were kind of better off just backing out of the driveway, staying out later, milking that one for all it's worth, and hoping that everyone gets too tired for the lecture that would otherwise follow. Right? But, but families and households, they, they need to have family rules. And that sort of begs the question, uh, what role do family rules play in life in the family of God? That's what we want to talk about uh, this morning, especially as we're continuing our Family Roots series where we've been studying uh, the letter to the Galatians in the scriptures written by Apostle Paul. And we especially want to explore this question because uh, what we've seen so far is that the Apostle Paul has been fighting uh, quite strongly against the importance or significance of uh, religious rule keeping as the basis for life with God. So what do we do with that? And what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the next verses in Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to see that Paul wants to make at least one more argument against the significance of these religious rules as, as what sort of gets you into the family of God. And he has an illustration for that. But then we're going to see, well, what do we do with all these rules then? How do we relate to them? And ultimately, what do we do with the Bible in our life of faith. So that's kind of where we're, we're going today. If you have a, a Bible or a Bible app that you want to follow along, you can turn uh, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. The words will also be on the screen uh, to follow along. And Galatians 3, 15, this is where Apost the Apostle Paul goes next. He says, brothers and sisters, speaking to these uh, Christians in Galatia, he says, let me give you an example from everyday life. 
He says, no one can get rid of an official agreement between people. No one can add to it. It can't be changed after it has been made. And he says, and it is the same with God's covenant agreement. Basically, what he's saying here is as he's talking about religious rule keeping, not being how you sort of get into the family of God. He says, let me give you an example from everyday life. Take something we've all experienced. And he's talking about an official agreement. Basically, think of it like a legal contract. You know, in our lives, maybe uh, a phone contract uh, that you've signed before, or if you're into like sports deals, think of that kind of thing. You know, we got trade deadlines coming up. And basically saying when an official agreement is made or a contract is signed, uh, it can't be changed. It's binding and it's fixed. No one can add to the terms. No one can take away from the terms. If anyone tries to change it, uh, the contract actually becomes null and void. And he's saying it's the same for us in our life of faith with God. That when God makes a deal, uh, God doesn't look to change, change it doesn't add to it or subtract to it. There's only one thing that God does when God makes a deal, and that is that God honors the deal. And it's this idea that Paul is using to try to explain how the promises that God made to Abraham, that's what we we heard about last week, Abraham as the father of faith, that the promises that God made to Abraham, how they relate to the religious rules of the law or in the scriptures. So we continue in uh, verse uh, 16, where Paul writes, the promises were given to Abraham, and that being the, the promise to bless Abraham, and through him to bless all nations, welcoming them and including them into the family of God. It says the promises were given to Abraham, and they were also given to his seed, singular. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural. That would mean many people. It says, and to your seed, that means one person. And then Paul says, and that one person is Christ. It's Jesus. Here is what I mean. The law came 430 years after the promise. But the law does not get rid of God's covenant and promise. The covenant had already been made by God. So the law does not do away with the promise. What's Paul uh, saying here? He's saying that, that God originally made a deal with Abraham. This, this promise to bless him and bless people through him to be part of the family of God. And he's saying it was only 430 years later that God gave uh, the religious rules to his people, to the Jewish community. That that came almost five centuries after. And one thing you need to know about the the law that's referred to here, these religious rules, uh, Paul is specifically referring to what we now know as the five, the first five books of the Old Testament. And in these laws, uh, the Jewish religious leaders, they actually found 613 individual and specific sort of family rules uh, that they believe had to be strictly adhered to if you were going to be part of the family of God. But Paul reminds that uh, these rules came, like I said, nearly five centuries after that original promise had been made. They weren't part of the original deal. But here's the real kicker. What he's saying in this passage is that although uh, the, the law wasn't part of the original deal, he's saying that Jesus was. That Jesus was always part of the plan and that God always intended to fulfill his promise through Jesus. And we see this when he's talking about uh, the seed. That, that Abraham's seed that the promises were given to. 
At first, it sounds like it's just referring to Abraham's uh, bloodline descendants. Uh, But Paul says it was actually Jesus that God had in mind all along. And so uh, what we want to take away from this is recognizing that the original deal always included Jesus, but it didn't include the religious rules. That's sort of the the big idea in Paul's point from this example from everyday life. That Jesus was part of the original deal, but the religious rules weren't. And then that's the same for us. That when it comes to faith in Jesus and kind of uh, being included as part of God's family, Jesus was always the original deal. And uh, the law was added after. So when we think about certain ways of uh, that you must look a certain way or talk a certain way or participate a certain way, that's just not part of the original deal. I want to try to help this make a little more sense to us, sort of building off this idea of something that connects to our everyday experience. Um, Think of uh, the last time you signed up for a a phone contract, assuming uh, that's something that's fairly uh, familiar uh, to many of us. You know, first you kind of decide, are you going to buy a phone outright or are you going to sort of take the deep discount and uh, sign up for, say, a two-year contract, which is probably what most of us end up doing. And if you do that, first you pick your phone, and then you got to sort out the terms of, you know, your minutes and your messaging, long-distance requirements, that kind of thing. Uh, then you have the joy of adding uh, data, you know, for ridiculous fees in an age where it seems like, like, shouldn't just the internet be free by now? Um, but you get all that sorted out, and then you sign on the dotted line, and you begin living into the life of the agreement, where you're using your phone, you're benefiting from your plan, and you're anticipating paying your monthly bill. But imagine uh, two weeks after you sign the contract that your phone company, they sends you an email and says they just have a few uh, parameters or terms or rules they'd actually now like to add to the agreement. Really specific things that almost seem impossible to follow. You know, things like uh, you can make no phone calls longer than two minutes. And all of the millennials in the room, they say, whew, no one likes talking on the phone anyways. That one's kind of a gift, especially when it comes to the in-laws, right? So, but how about this? How about um, you can only receive text messages on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Now that one's starting to kind of interfere and you're thinking, hey, this wasn't part of the original deal. I'm not sure I can live with this. And then the last one, you can only scroll social media on Sunday mornings between 9 and noon. And if that's being enforced on you, I can totally understand why you're taking advantage of these precious moments, right? But if that happened to you, you wouldn't stand for it. You'd have every legal right to drop the contract and you'd uh, you'd break all trust with the phone company. Because once an official agreement is made, it can't be changed. And this is the point that, God, that Paul is making. When it comes to life with God, the original deal was God's promise to welcome, bless, and include everyone in God's family as a free gift through faith in Jesus, not by living up to all the family rules. We see this kind of restated and summarized in verse 18, uh, where it says, the great gift that God has for us does not depend on the law. If it did, it would no longer depend on the promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a free gift through a promise. That's kind of the bottom line of this first section. And it's because God's family uh, operates like this, more through promise than through law. 
Because God is a God of relationship and not a God of rules. The creator of a family founded on promise and not on performance. And no one can add to or change the terms because then it would be no promise at all. And it would break all of our trust in the promise maker. So if this original deal was all about faith in Jesus and not about religious rule keeping, then it begs the question, so what was the point of the law? What's the point of all of the rules that we find in here? And as though by sort of divine anticipation, that's exactly where Paul goes next with the Galatians. In verse 19, he says, then why was the law given at all? He says it was added because of human sin. And it was supposed to control us until the promised seed, notice now that it's capitalized, representing Jesus, until the promised seed, who is Jesus, had come. Paul says that the law was given because before Jesus, or without Jesus, humanity has a condition, a dysfunction or an incompleteness that the Bible uh, describes as sin. And the word sin, it simply means uh, to miss the mark, to not quite get it right in who we're, we're meant to be in loving God and loving uh, other people. And in this condition, uh, we need some guidance. We need some direction. We, we need some help in sorting out life. And when it says it was supposed to control us, you could think of it this way, uh, that the law was kind of like a babysitter or a guardian in charge until it's sort of in the absence of the parents or until the sort of real parental authority arrived. Or think of uh, it like training wheels. You know, training wheels to, to keep a child safe and stable until they can learn to ride a bike for themselves. And what are babysitters and training wheels? They are temporary measures put in place to protect us, to keep us from uh, getting into trouble or hurting ourselves or even hurting others. And Paul is saying that this is what the law provided, this sort of temporary babysitting-like protection. And then in uh, verse 21, he says, So is the law opposed to God's promises? Is it somehow against God's promise? He says, certainly not. Now, what if a law had been given that could give life? Then people could become right with God by obeying the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. It does so in order that what was promised might be given to those who believe, those who have faith and trust and faithfulness. So the promise comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, so, so is the law bad? Is it actually against God's promise and original deal? Think of it this way. Is, is a babysitter bad and somehow against the plans of a parent? Absolutely not. In my life right now, a babysitter is the only way uh, for a night out every once in a while. And a babysitter is essential, you know, when a child is young to provide protection and guidance, to keep our kids from getting in trouble or hurting themselves and each other. But, but don't miss this. That a babysitter can't do or be everything that a parent does and is. That's the difference. That a babysitter can uh, guide and guard life, but only a parent can give or bring life. And that essentially is kind of how the, the rules of the Bible work as a guide to what life with God looks like. But they cannot actually create 
the life with God that only comes by his Holy Spirit and through faith, it comes through faith in Jesus to make us a part of God's family. That it's, it's faith in Jesus that has us become part of God's family, not the religious rule keeping. And so, what do we do with all of this? You know, I, I don't think uh, most of us are feeling kind of the, the pressure to try to live up to all 613 uh, rules of the, of the Jewish religious law that's being referenced here. We might not even feel sort of some pressure about the big three that were being kind of a, a applied to the Galatians. That was to, to eat kosher, to rigorously and religiously uh, observe the Sabbath, and for all males to be circumcised, which girls you were kind of off the hook for anyways. Um, but what we do have is the Bible, which contains uh, all kinds of rules and instructions. And for us, I think what we need to, to know how to do or to learn how to do uh, in a life of faith is to know how to engage the scriptures in a way that actually inspires a deeper faith in Christ and doesn't try to sort of form our life with God based on our ability to, to sort of follow and obey all of the religious rules. Now, I don't know what your uh, relationship with the Bible uh, is or, or has been, if there's been any. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of brand new to this. You've never really read the Bible. Even someone hearing someone talk about the Bible, read from the Bible, that's kind of new and different for, for you. And if that's the case, I, we're glad you're here with us. Uh, maybe for some, you have heard some of the, the famous or, or infamous stories or just plain weird stories from the Bible. Uh, and you've kind of just felt like it seems like an a archaic and outdated book that's not really relevant to this day and age, or maybe at worst, you, you felt like sometimes it's dangerous in the ways uh, you've seen it handled. Maybe for some of us, we, we are familiar. Uh, maybe we've been, been brought up in environments like this. We've uh, been taught some of the stories. We've even read some of the stories for ourselves. Um, but right now, we've kind of been content to just leave the Bible on the shelf, not seeing how it plays an active role in our life of faith. Or maybe for some of us, a little bit more like uh, the Galatians that Paul was writing to, uh, we've treated the Bible as the family rule book that kind of determines uh, who's in and who's out depending on how well they are following all of the rules. And if you've ever handled the Bible that way, or you've ever sort of been handed the Bible that way, then at that level, uh, we're wrestling with the exact same question as the Galatians. That just like the Galatians who were tempted to put their trust in their ability to obey the religious rules as, again, the basis and foundation of their life with God, I think sometimes we're tempted to put our trust in our ability to obey all of these religious rules as we understand them as the basis for our life with God. And then we put those expectations on others as well. But we, we need to kind of really get clear this morning to know that our faith, our Christian faith, is in Jesus and not in the Bible. That our faith is in Jesus and not in religious rule keeping. And, and there's a difference. That our faith is actually in a person and not in pages. That it's in a, a being and not in a book. And it's in a relationship and not predominantly in rule keeping.
I think we uh, get this wrong at times. I know I have, and I've, I've heard it described that according to the Bible, according to the scriptures, there's really just two kinds of, of sin. Something called idolatry and a second called in, injustice. Idolatry being sort of loving anything more than you love God. And injustice, loving yourself more than you love your neighbor. And I think sometimes we uh, fall into uh, those traps in our relationship with the Bible um, in that we kind of, it can become the object of our affection and ultimately our, our, our faith. And we find ourselves putting more trust in these written words than in the living word that is Jesus. And out of that, we can, we can maybe do an injustice by uh, becoming sort of these judges or, or gatekeepers as to who is in and who is out of the family of God. That only if you know and understand and interpret and imply and obey all of these rules in the same way and as well as I do. If you do that, then you're in. But if you don't, then you're out. And I know some of us have done this. I have done this. And it needs to change because uh, that is not what the Bible is intended to do. That is not what the scriptures were ever intended to do or be. Uh, Jesus once said to the uh, religious scholars of his day, the people that knew those religious laws better than anyone and who lived them out to a T, he said that their hearts were far from him. And he said in John 5, 39, he said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures actually point to me. It's to know and love the person of Jesus because of what he has done for us, that that is the actual purpose of the scriptures and the guidance that they can provide for us. And that's why we absolutely cannot afford to just leave our Bibles on our shelves. Because if these scriptures uh, point us to the person and life of Jesus, and we are seeking to be followers of Jesus, we talk around here about being fully devoted to Jesus, then we need to engage with the scriptures in order to help us on that journey. I think the question uh, for us this morning is not uh, whether we should read the Bible, whether it's relevant to us. The question is how we should read our Bible in this way that, that deepens and grows our faith in Christ. And to help us with that and, and hopefully get somewhat practical for you, I want to give us what I would describe as, as five lenses, ways of sort of approaching the Bible to help us uh, deepen our faith in Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Um, number one, always read the Bible looking for Christ. Whenever you're going to approach the scriptures, use this as your starting point. Read looking to find Jesus. If these are intended to point to him, make it your aim to, to, to find him, to see him, to get to know him, to discover him. Don't approach the Bible without wanting to find and see Jesus in it. And secondly, uh, read in the light of Christ. And what I mean by this is that we should never approach our Bibles as though Jesus hadn't come. That, that we actually have the privilege of being on this side of the story. And maybe, maybe you don't know the whole story or ha don't have it all figured out, but we want to approach it knowing that Jesus is sort of the climax of the story. Author uh, and pastor Brian Zond, he loves to say that uh, God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God has not been like Jesus. We didn't always know this, but now we do. 
It's like having read the end of the mystery novel and then reading it again and now seeing uh, the rest of it in a new light, seeing the connections in the twists and the turns or the dead ends because you have the answer key that in this case is Jesus that makes sense of the rest of the story. And on pages where it's hard to find Jesus, which there are, Ask questions like, hey, what does this tell us about why Jesus had to come? Or what might this mean about the the nature of humanity and God's relationship with humanity through Christ? Number three, read in the spirit of Christ. If our faith is in the the risen spirit of Jesus, we want to read trusting that his spirit is helping us understand. And we want to read prayerfully saying, God, when I I open this up, uh, would you show me? Something I didn't know. Would you kind of give me insight and wisdom? We learned a couple of weeks ago that sort of the evidence of life in the family of God comes through the Holy Spirit's powerful work in our lives. So we want to trust that God's Spirit is teaching us and showing us. You just said that God would send the Spirit to lead us into truth. Number four, uh, read within the body of Christ. The New Testament describes uh, the church sort of like the, the hands and feet of Jesus. On earth. And so this means read in community, read with others. Be a part of a community like this where we're seeking to teach the scriptures and process them together in, in group environments. Ask each other questions, tell each other stories, and make sure that you're actually engaging with people who have a different perspective than you, who come from a different background or tradition, um, maybe a different stage or station in life, and we can all learn from each other. And finally, if you're going to engage the scriptures, read to become like Christ. Because if the the point of the scriptures are to to sort of reveal Jesus, to point to Jesus, then uh, the goal of the Christian life is actually to become like Jesus. So when you read, read seeking to become a different kind of person. To have a heart that is softened and changed. To see yourself growing in a person of love and joy and peace. Becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Make that your goal of reading. In my own life, uh, I have come to see and experience that this book has power. It has power potentially to become uh, sort of the object of our affection and our faith. And then we can use it sort of as a gatekeeper determining who's in and who's out. But it also has power to actually expand our hearts, to expand our love for God and love for other people, transforming us more into the character of Jesus in ways we could never imagine. What we want for you is that we we wouldn't misuse the Bible, but we also would not miss out on its power to change our lives. About 10 years ago, uh, I was... Uh, compelled by a leader who was convinced that uh, this life of full devotion to Jesus, it actually demanded daily intentionality, daily space to grow our, our following of Jesus. Seems obvious, but not always easily lived out. And he believed that the, the earliest parts of the day, they were the best investment to sort of spend some time uh, seeking to follow Jesus and get to know Jesus uh, as it would set the trajectory for the rest of our day and ultimately our lives. He he talked about it as reclaiming the morning. And he believed that 
part of those minutes, it was worth reading and engaging with the scriptures. And around that time in our community, we were talking about uh, deepening our spiritual foundations. And I knew that uh, if I was going to sort of deepen my own spirituality and deepen my own faith, my relationship uh, with the Bible needed to grow and needed to deepen. And at that time, I, I took on the challenge of trying to read through the entire Bible in one year. There's a variety of reading plans that can kind of help you navigate that if that was something you were trying to do. It's something I had never done before and frankly, I didn't know if I could do. And throughout the journey, uh, no doubt there were, there were ups and downs. Uh, there were days where I certainly didn't feel like getting up earlier than I otherwise had to. There were days where I didn't even really feel like reading. There were days that I missed and had to, to catch up. There were days where as I read, I was kind of bored and distracted. There were days where I was confused. There were days where I, I kind of wondered whether it was adding any value at all. But I made it through over the course of that year. And far more than making it just sort of through to check that box, I have to tell you that that, that year changed my life in ways I couldn't have expected. That year uh, changed and redefined my relationship with the Bible that has changed my faith in ways I couldn't have expected. Because there were also days where a phrase jumped off a page and came alive bringing hope and direction in a way that I desperately needed. There were days when something I had always misunderstood, it suddenly became clear in light of that bigger picture. There were other days where something that I thought I always had had figured out suddenly became a little less clear. And it made me more empathetic to others who felt the same. And it fueled my curiosity to keep learning and growing. There were days when these words gave me words to pray. There were days when they helped me ask good questions. There were days when I found Jesus in stories in ways I had never anticipated. And there were days when I definitely could not wait for the next day. And there were days when I realized that uh, loving your neighbor should sometimes be just as simple as it sounds. There were days when I was confronted with the truth that sometimes loving your neighbor means loving your enemy. And I realized that there are things in here about following Jesus that it will take me a lifetime to keep wrapping my mind and my heart and my life around And there were days where I started to recognize that certain thoughts or attitudes or behaviors or patterns in my life were starting to evolve and starting to change. And that's much of what I was reading was starting to influence how I was thinking or I was behaving in my life. And ultimately, all of those days sort of solidified or crystallized into a daily journey that I've enjoyed for the better part of a decade of seeking to engage with this Bible, with God's word in a regular way, encountering Jesus in it through this epic narrative that was only ever always aiming at him. And I, I love this book, not because it's the object of my faith, but because it inspires a deeper love and commitment to the object of my faith, who is Jesus. So when it comes to reading the Bible, which maybe you've never done or you're still not sure about doing, or maybe you just haven't done in a while, or maybe you're thinking of doing in a fresh way, when it comes 
to engaging with the Bible, know this first. If your faith is in Jesus, you're a part of the family. Even if you're not a Bible expert, even if you don't know all of the stories, even if you find it hard to follow all of the rules, even if you'll never read through the Bible, the entire Bible in a year, but also know that reading the Bible has the power and potential to transform your life into the likeness of Jesus to a greater degree in ways you maybe never thought possible. Because like in any reasonably healthy family, where we do grow up with family rules, as kids mature and as trust and transformation unfold, and in this case, as we focus our eyes and our hearts and our reading on following Jesus, eventually, we actually start becoming the family member we were always meant to be. And as that happens, uh, the rules kind of get to fade into the background. And what remains is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And friends, that might be uh, the only family rule there is. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are a Father who loves us. And wants to draw us all into your family uh, through who Jesus is, what he has done, and us putting our faith in him. That that was always the original deal, what you had in mind from the very beginning. And we thank you as well for uh, the scriptures, the Bible that has been uh, passed down to us, given to us as uh, a guide and the story that reveals your heart of love through Jesus. May we learn how to engage with it in a way uh, that makes us more like Jesus, makes us more like the family members that you are making us to be. We thank you that you are seeking to do that by the power of your spirit in us and through us and that we pray that you would more and more each day. We pray, amen.